Happy Palm Sunday, All Souls family. So good to um, be with you this afternoon. Uh, I really want to uh, thank Matt for just uh, doing a tremendous job uh, researching all the different ways that we could go about trying to connect with you in worship. And uh, we hope, we think, that this will be a, a good way that will sustain us uh, until we can all gather together again. I, I do miss uh, being with you outside with our palms, as we have done for the last 15 years. And um, I'll miss being with you in many ways during Holy Week. But thank God that we can be uh, together like this. So uh, I trust you're watching this perhaps on Palm Sunday or maybe listening to it during Holy Week. And uh, I thought we'd begin by uh, just going back to a famous story from uh, the Vietnam War. Vice Admiral James Stockdale was held in, a, held in a Hanoi prison camp for seven years. He was often beaten, uh, put into solitary confinement. He never knew when he was going to be released um, but somehow he came out of that ordeal, he told an interviewer, a better and stronger person than when he began it. So how does that happen? Well, one interviewer asked him who didn't make it out, and he replied, the optimists. They were the ones that always said, we're going to be out of here by Christmas. Um, uh, Christmas would come and go. There'd be another Christmas, and they died of a broken heart, he said. And then he told the interviewer, this is what I learned from those years in prison camp. You must never confuse the need for absolute, unwavering faith that you can prevail while having at the same time the ability to confront the brutal facts, whatever they are. We're not getting out of here by Christmas. This has become known as the Stockdale Paradox. Uh, people who both endure and become better in stressful situations both confront the painful reality of their situation and have an unwavering faith that they will prevail. The Stockdale Paradox is very helpful to keep in mind as we journey through this pandemic. We are facing a challenge that we've never faced before. And with God's help, we will prevail. I'm confident of that. The sacred writers of Israel learned a similar lesson, and they spoke of it uh, through the literature of lament. Uh, a lament is a song or a poem or a sermon or a writing that uh, names somebody's sadness, somebody's grief, somebody's frustration, but also moves towards hope. Uh, if we think about it another way, it's it's a way to live out Stockdale's paradox. It's a it's a way to both name your brutal reality and remind yourself that with God's help will prevail. Psalm twenty two is a classic lament psalm, and I, I call it a psalm for autumn because autumn so often is a time when we are both confronting the reality that the summer of life is past, and and yet remembering that spring will come again. So David confronts his brutal reality in verses 1 to 21, and then he expresses his firm hope that he will prevail in verses 22 to 31. Uh, the title of the psalm tells us that David is the author, 
we don't know when he wrote this psalm, but it's clearly uh, a season of great trauma for David. Psychologist Elsa Barbas wrote an article this week called Coronavirus, the Psychological Trauma and PTSD Event. And the subtitle is, How This Pandemic Will Result in Trauma Responses. And here's just a couple of excerpts. The pandemic is no doubt a psychological trauma crisis waiting to happen. Trauma is an emotional experience of a highly stressful and shocking event. While traumatic events are incredibly stressful and shocking, they become trauma when a person's ability to cope is compromised. This often happens in response to events that are perceived as life or body-threatening. Reactions to trauma vary greatly from a mild reaction to reactions that are more severe and debilitating. As a trauma specialist, it is exceedingly clear to me just how traumatic the situation is for nearly every single person in the world. Trauma specialists say that one of the very best ways to deal with trauma is to talk about what what we've experienced. Uh, Psychologist Bessel van der Kolk, in his uh, best-selling book on trauma, The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma, it it really is a a good book. If um, you're interested in learning more about trauma, it summarizes all the most recent research on it. But he begins his chapter on healing from trauma with a quote from Macbeth. Give sorrow words. The grief that does not speak knits up over the wrought heart and bids it break. Well, David shows us what it means to give sorrow words in uh, this psalm. And with honest and searing words, he describes his physical, emotional, and spiritual pain. For starters, David feels that God has abandoned him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Oh, my God, I cry day by day, but you do not answer. He's cruelly rejected and beaten by the people he once led. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. The agony of his situation has even taken a toll on him. On his body, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Well, I I hope that most of us are not feeling the level of despair that Uh, David is is describing in this psalm, but I think the psalm does encourage us to name what we are feeling bravely and and honestly. Now, remember, David's writing this as a prayer to God, but it's also to be sung or read or prayed in community. 
It really is important that you talk about what you're feeling uh, with God. Uh, you may or may not be a journaler. You may have other day, other ways in which you express yourself to God. This season might be a good season to start journaling and just to be honest with them, as David was, about what you're feeling right now. Just, just name it. But it's also important to be honest with uh, a couple of close friends about what you're feeling. And I really hope you have uh, a circle of of people that you can be totally honest with about about what you're going through. But identifying and sharing our feelings is not enough. That's really just one half of the Stockdale paradox. I mean, it is important to see the brutal reality around you and acknowledge it and name it. But David's psalm does not end in verse 21. Um, this week, I had a number of good conversations with uh, with people, either by email or Zoom or phone, about how they're handling this crisis. And a common theme that came up in every conversation just about was, how do you balance this tension? How can you be honest about uh, what you're feeling, maybe what you're afraid of or any anxiety or anything you're grieving, while at the same time holding firmly to uh, your hope that you have in God. How do you do both at the same time? How do you balance pain and hope? Well, I mentioned a few weeks ago that um, I uh, try to start every morning with a prayer walk. And uh, the first thing I do is just look back over the day before and ask God, where were you at work? And uh, maybe where did I not experience your presence? Um, I was doing that uh, this week, and I was looking at the conversations over the week, and I I felt pretty good about most of them. It, it seemed like we had struck a, a reasonable balance between, you know, being honest about where people were and, and, and experiencing uh, the comfort of God's hope. But there was one conversation that I felt kind of off about as I went back and looked over the week. And as I look back at it, I was I was leading a conversation with several people. And uh, we'd done a good job of being honest about uh, our grief. Um, but then I allowed the conversation to stop there. We did not move into the second half of lament. We did not turn towards hope. And so I think we left kind of discouraged um, uh, afterward. Uh, see, being honest about grief is, is very important, but it is not enough. Uh, there, there's more to healing and hope than just acknowledging uh, the suffering that we're experiencing. Dr. Vanderkolk says that a couple of things happen when a person experiences trauma. They, they can feel that they've lost their way in the world, that the map that they use to navigate the world uh, has been torn up. And he says that a lot of times people that have experienced trauma uh, feel like their life lacks purpose or, or meaning anymore. They become disoriented. And... Uh, the section of the book that I was the most interested in, uh, because it just seems like so many folks are experiencing trauma, and then now um, the whole world is, to one degree or another, was the section about healing from trauma, recovering from trauma. And it was fascinating. He shares groundbreaking research um, from neuroscience. Uh, he introduces new therapies like EMDR. 
he talks about how practices like yoga or um, uh, even uh, there's kind of a therapeutic approach to drama and theater that he said all of these can help a person heal from trauma. And I found that very fascinating and encouraging. But it was also interesting that he has very little, almost nothing to say about the role of faith in um, healing trauma. Now, let's suppose that the psychiatrists are right and that we, because of the extremely stressful time we're living in, um, uh, a lot of folks will uh, maybe find some of their ability to cope impaired after this, and maybe uh, a good number of, uh, of the citizens of the world will develop PTSD. Well, it, it seems to me that this is where the gentle hope of the gospel can come in. Uh, if it's true that trauma does these things, then as we go through this and even after this, which might actually be a really challenging time, many people may feel uh, disoriented, uh, like the map they use to make sense of their lives has been torn up. They may feel disconnected. They may feel like uh, uh, they don't have a meaningful purpose to their life. And we have the opportunity to offer uh, gospel hope here. And perhaps our, our friends and loved ones and neighbors will be maybe more open to, uh, to hearing that gentle hope than uh, prior to the crisis. Uh, because the hope of Holy Week, of course, is that the, the God of love comes and um, rescues us. Romans 5.8. Uh, summarizes Holy Week in a nutshell. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, of course. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There is a brutal reality in Holy Week. The world system crucifies the Son of God, but there's also hope, an empty tomb, a risen Christ. Death gives way to life. The Son of God prevails. And so the good news of the gospel to a world ravaged by trauma is Easter. It is that we are not alone, that there is a map, that life does have meaning. And so... uh, I guess my point is that Easter hope heals trauma. Well, how do you move from lament to hope? Well, David begins in verse 22 by stating his decision to worship, to worship with others. He says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. Well, I am uh, slowly becoming thankful for Zoom, um, but I do miss being with you. I I miss uh, our times praying together and praising together. Uh, There's something about worshiping together that nourishes hope. And when you think about it, the shape of our liturgy, after all, embraces the Stockdale paradox. I mean, we start off brutally acknowledging the reality of our sin and confession, but we move from there through prayer, through the scriptures, through preaching of the gospel, to the table where we remember that we do and will prevail in Christ. 
So every time we come together, we remind ourselves of, uh, of our hope. The next four verses in the psalm summon God's people to worship. You who fear the Lord, praise him. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. And then David expands his vision even further. He recalls how the story ends. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. He says, even the dead will worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. And then his his vision keeps expanding, and he says, uh, they shall come and proclaim the righteous to a people yet unborn. He says, this story is going to go on long after us. People will be praising God uh, long after this crisis has passed. Well, in 1994, Dr. Van wrote an important scientific paper about the healing of trauma. And he found that uh, trauma victims often have very fragmented memories of a past event. And, you know, it's interesting that the first verses of this psalm are uh, kind of like that. They're fragmented memories of a very traumatic period. But he found that it wasn't enough just for the survivors to recall the event and share it with a a therapist, they had to put the fragmented pieces of that memory back together in a story that made sense of their lives. And I actually think uh, that's what's happening here. In our psalm, David begins by remembering the fragmented pieces of his trauma. And he talks about his abandonment by God, his, his beatings, his desire to die, but then he weaves all of those into the healing story of Israel. He's, he's a part of a congregation of people, a community that's been rescued by God. He's a part of a, of a community with a future and a hope. He's in covenant with a God who is bringing the reign of heaven into all the world. He's a part of a story that began long before him and will continue long after him. And this fills him with joy and praise. Now, We don't know how long we're going to be in this traumatic season, and uh, I think that's one of the great challenges of it. How do you protect yourself from some of the uh, corrosive, uh, psychologically and spiritually corrosive uh, effects of trauma in a time like this? Well, one way is to stay firmly rooted in a congregation of praise, a community where we can both name the brutal reality of sin and our participation in it, but also remind one another of our Easter hope. Nothing is like being together, and I I really long for the day when we can do that again. Uh, But I have to say I've been profoundly encouraged this week by meeting with others via Zoom and uh, our morning and evening prayer. You just got an email about that at 8 in the morning and 8 at night. The staff practiced that a little bit this week. Um, I just found that so peaceful and comforting in this time. And, and essentially what we're doing at the end of the day, the beginning of the day, is what David does. We're naming some of our sadness and turning towards hope. Now, if you need someone or, or a couple of folks to talk with and you don't have anyone 
that you on a regular basis are talking with and both talking about how you're feeling, but also reminding one another of the hope we have in Christ, email me, Doug at allsoulsknoxville.com. And uh, I will I will try my best to find someone to connect you with. And uh, please um, try out uh, one of the morning or evening prayer times. All the instructions are on the website, and uh, you don't have to say a thing. Um, but I think you'll you'll find it a, a nice way to begin and or end your day. So. This will not be, of course, the the Holy Week that we had planned. Um, We did not march in with uh, palm branches tonight. The conference room will not become the Stations of the Cross. Matt had been working on that for a long time. We won't have a Tenebrae service on Monday, Thursday. We won't have a Good Friday service in Market Square. We won't have a Saturday night vigil. And we won't baptize our children together on a glorious Easter morning at World's Fair Park. And uh, I, I miss that. I feel sad about that. But we can still journey together this week as best we can. Uh, we can do that through joining together through a morning and evening prayer. And this week, uh, we're going to read the, the scriptures that walk with Jesus through uh, the last week of his life, climaxing at the cross. So uh, that'll be a big part of our prayer times is just uh, walking with Christ through those scriptures. Uh, I've been writing uh, some pastoral letters to you, and this week uh, we'll be focusing on uh, the meaning of the cross in a time of uh, coronavirus. Um, and then, of course, please make sure you gather with your people virtually at least once, and then we will gather together through the magic of uh, a video on uh, on Easter Sunday. Well, as we head into Holy Week, let me read Matthew's description of the final uh, moments of our Lord's life. It's found in Matthew 25, or no, Matthew 27, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, this man's calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Well, you may have noticed that Jesus' death parallels so many of David's experiences in his psalm. It, it, it seems as if David prophetically has connected with Christ and his sufferings in this lament. And, and maybe that's part of what this whole psalm teaches us, that when we do lament, we identify with Christ and participate in the fellowship of his sufferings. Um, Jesus' enemies taunt him and dare his God to deliver him. His body breaks. Evildoers pierce his hand and feet. Enemies divide his garments and roll dice for them. Uh, And it's so interesting that in this final moment, 
Jesus could have said anything. He could have cried, uh, God is love. He could have said, um, I am the Son of God. Um, instead, he begins reciting a, a prayer of, of lament, uh, a prayer that begins by naming a brutal reality and ending with the gospel of hope. And he needed to do both of those that day. And so do we today. So good to be with you. Let's pray. Let's stay close together. We're going to get through this because he has risen from the dead. Father, um, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins, rise again on the third day, to live among us for 40 days, to return to heaven, pour out the Spirit, and uh, let us commune with you and share in your life through the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us live in the middle of Stockdale's paradox. Help us be honest about what we're feeling, while at the same time holding firmly to the hope that we have in a risen Savior. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.